welcome to this podcast of our new series, Anything But Ordinary. Anything But Ordinary. You looked at me for a moment like we should have said it together. You want to try it again? Yeah. Anything, Anything But, but ordinary. ordinary. Much yeah. better. Yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of a play on words um, because we're doing it during ordinary time and Sanctified Art puts out this series and I really like their resources because they care so much about the visual art and helping people reflect in all sorts of ways. Um, They don't put together scripts for services. They don't really put together a ton of preaching notes. So there's a lot of freedom to address the issues our community has or that might come up from the text, but a lot of resources to help supplement that conversation. Cool. Yeah, so ordinary time is kind of, Pentecost goes on forever, right? It does, yeah. And so it feels like ordinary, so it just became ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the whole Pentecost fire thing wears off after a bit, so, you know, <laughs> fire, it, become, it becomes ordinary. It's a burned out. Yeah. It's a burned out. Yeah. And uh, the thought is going through, um, really, the Abrahamic family tree and some of the stories we might have heard as kiddos um, that are worth our revisiting because they are our stories. Yeah, one of the things I think is is important for us to keep kind of touching back to is that these are these are not just our stories as Christians, but they they had their roots in the Judaic Bible, and they're also mm. in the Quran as part of the uh, part of the stories of the um, the Islamic community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there we are joined as people of Abraham, children of Abraham. Abraham. So we'll be covering this for twelve weeks. <sighs> And we are excited. You're along for the ride with us. Hang on. We are in the midst, the exact middle of our Anything But Ordinary series. And uh, Barry did not preach by singing Stairway to Heaven. There's a lady (laughs) who's sure. Um, But uh, it was on Jacob's dream about the stairway to heaven. Yes. So we encourage you to listen to the scripture if you haven't, listen to the message if you haven't, and join us for some reflection. The scripture today is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19a. I invite you to listen. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set upon the earth and top of it and the top of it reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! 
This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, a word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. Oh, that song brings me right back to camp at Lake Louise. It was always the closing song at Fire Bowl, and the, uh, the counselors were always anxious to get to that song because <laughs> sometimes Fire Bowl just goes on a while, uh, and I could hear my friend Andrew Jackson beginning that song and all the kids going, no! Anyway, more than you needed to know. Well, we've been doing this, uh, this series uh, during this time that's called Ordinary Time in Christian Church Tradition, the calendar of the church. And uh, we said, no way, this is not ordinary. This is anything but ordinary. So in week one, as we're going through the Abraham tradition, week one, God visits in the form of three strangers in the 15th chapter, and God tells Abraham just what's what and that a baby is coming. And then week two, Sarah says, hey, this is really taking a long time. Chapter 21 and 16 combined. Sarah says, Abraham, take my maidservant Hagar and conceive a child with her and it'll be good. We'll get God's promise going. And uh, all of that does not go well. But God does see, God does hear, and God does redeem, makes all things right. Third week, chapter 22, Jess got a gold star for doing this uh, sermon on God speaking to Abraham to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. It is a seriously icky text with more questions than answers, right? Week four, Abraham speaks in chapter 24 to his servant to go back to the home country, get a wife for my son, Isaac. And that is done, it is done, and it's all perfectly done by this non-Hebrew slave who sees it being God's work. And last week, chapter 25, the embattled gestation and birth and competition between the twin bros, Esau and Jacob. This week, we're at the midpoint of our series, chapter 28, and Jacob on the run. Jacob uh, has done some, some rough things, and Esau is after him. But Jacob on the run stops to rest and to dream. All of this started flashing back to me as Lisa and I sweated our way into the second hour of flight 434 from Detroit to Amsterdam, sitting at the gate waiting for a lightning storm to pass. Some of you have been there. All the workers were pulled off the ground. No baggage was loaded, no food carts, but passengers, well, we'll bring them on. We were processed into the plane, and there we sat. There we sat. No air, hot, no beverages, no sense of humor. And I am sure that I thought about Jacob, who would not? <laughs> Jacob was a man of journeys. The one we deal with today comes as he, um, I can't say what I put up there, <laughs> as he sort of rips off his brother um, out, of, uh, out of his rightful inheritance. And then he, he splits. He splits with 
one eye on the road to Haran and the other over his shoulder watching for his brother. I sat in the big old DC-10 aware that every journey, whatever the journey's motivation, whatever its point of origin or destination, whatever the duration, every journey has its major turns and surprises. I've been thinking about that as I'm anticipating a journey uh, that's going to be eight weeks of renewal leave and uh, not entirely sure how that's all going to go, but there will be turns and twists along the way. So the very revelation was underscored when we arrived in Amsterdam just in time to miss our connecting flight to Paris and was confirmed again when no baggage was to be found for Petrucci's. Hey, Lisa and I, you know, we're pretty chill. We were rolling with the punches. But the next day when my bag made it to the hotel and Lisa's was likely on a hot train station platform somewhere in Greece, Lisa was, well, she was a little, okay, she was melting down. No change of clothing, no toiletries, no makeup. These things do not make for a happy spouse or a happy vacation for that matter. Jacob, in retrospect, had it easy. He only had a brother out to kill him. <laughs> All his luggage was intact, and he traveled alone. Of course, journey being what it is, we were no, no sooner kind of over the meltdown. We had no sooner picked up some French clothing and makeup on sale, and then we returned to the hotel to discover that, to discover that when we returned to the hotel, we, we saw the concierge had good news as he pulled the visibly American suitcase out from behind, behind the desk, and all was well. Only when high anxiety was relaxed was Jacob able to get stoned, <laughs> to get down among the stones and lay down for a dream. For us, it was a shower, fresh clothing, the knowledge that ultimately all now seemed right with the world, at our little world temporarily rocked by Delta and Air France. So that, to be fair, to the best of my knowledge, no one at Delta or Air France was trying to ruin our awesome vacation plans. And therein is the difference. Jacob was a piece of work who was, from the very beginning, in the womb, wrestling his way to the front and then to the top. Frederick Buechner talks about, about it this way in his book, Peculiar Treasures. It's on pages 57 and 58 if you want to check it out. The book of Genesis, he says, makes no attempt to conceal the fact that Jacob was, among other things, a crook. What's more, you get the feeling that whoever wrote up this seamy adventure got a real, quick, a real kick out of them. Twice he cheated his lame-brained brother Esau out of what was coming to him. At least once he took advantage of the blindness of his father Isaac and played dad for a sucker. He outdid his double-crossing father-in-law Laban by conning him out of most of his livestock, and later on when Laban was looking the other way by sneaking off with not only both the man's daughters but just about everything else that wasn't nailed down, including the household gods. Jacob was never satisfied. He wanted the moon. And if he ever managed to bilk heaven out of that, he would have been back the next morning for the stars to go with it. But then one day he learned a marvelous lesson in a marvelous and unexpected way. It happened just after he'd ripped off Esau for the second time when he was making his getaway into the hill country to the north. 
When sunset came and nobody seemed to be after him, he decided it was safe to camp out for the night, and having left in too much of a hurry to take his bedroll with him, he tucked a stone under his head and prepared to go to sleep. You might think that what happened next was that he lay there all night bug-eyed as a result of his guilty conscience, or if he did finally manage to drop off, that he was tormented by conscience-stricken dreams. But neither of this was the case. Instead, he dropped off like a baby in a cradle and dreamed the kind of dreams you would have thought were reserved for the highest of saints. He dreamed. He dreamed that there was a ladder, a ladder reaching up to heaven, and that there were angels moving up and down with golden sandals and rainbow-colored wings, and that, some, and that standing somewhere above it all was God's very self, and the words God spoke in the dream were not the chewing out we might have expected, but something altogether different. God told Jacob that the land he was lying on was to belong to him, Jacob and would belong to his descendants, and that someday his descendants would become a great nation and a great blessing to all the other nations of the earth. And if that wasn't enough, God then added a kind of personal PS saying, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. So, as just mentioned last week, Jacob tricked Esau out of his inheritance by trading it for a bowl of lentil stew. Yum. <laughs> and he tricked Esau out of his father's blessing by tricking his father. Esau has had it and plans to murder his bro, so with promise of blessing and inheritance in hand, Jacob takes off to Haran. He encountered a certain place. There will be no test on this, but the Hebrew word is hamakom, hamakom. To spend the night, he goes to a certain place, Hamakom. He takes a stone from that certain place, Hamakom, puts it under his head for a pillow and lays down in that certain place, Hamakom. See, it's unfortunate that the English translations do not make this trilogy of repetition clear, and so it misses the, the point of the intentionality of that Hamakom, that, that certain place. The drama is built in the Hebrew to get the reader to understand that something about that place will bring something special, an accompanying wonder, a miracle, a blessing. And Jacob dreams. Dreams are subconscious expressions of what's going on in the mind, spirit, soul of the dreamer. In the Bible, sleeping dreams and waking visions are used as vehicles for God to speak or display crucial truths to the dreamer. Swiss psychiatrist and psychotherapist Carl Jung says, Christians often ask why God does not speak to them, as God has believed to have done in former days. He said, when I hear these questions, it always makes me think of the rabbi who was asked, how could it be that God often showed himself to people in the olden days, but that now, nowadays no one sees to see God any, seems to see God any longer? And the rabbi replied, nor is there anyone nowadays who could stoop so low. Hmm. Nowadays, there is no one who could stoop so low. 
This answer, Jung says, hits the nail on the head. We are so captivated by, the entangled, by being entangled in our subjective consciousness that we have simply forgotten the age-old fact that God speaks chiefly through dreams and visions. And so, God, and so Jacob dreams in that certain place, carrying the reality of all he has done wrong to a family, carrying a load of conscious turmoil, wondering about what will be next as he travels toward Haran. He puts his head on the stone, which, by the way, was not an unusual ancient Near Eastern practice, though it seems really weird to us, right? Even in homes, headrests were often made of metal kind of wedges. He puts his head out there in the field on a stone and sleeps, as Shakespeare says, perchance to dream. He dreams of raised staircase. The word is used only here in the Bible, but elsewhere the word references the Babylonian ziggurat, a pyramid-like building with steps going up, going up to terraced levels, sometimes on all sides. The ziggurat symbolized the link between the gods and humankind. On the practical side, it also provided shelter when the floodwaters came. The people went up the stairs and safe from the waters. So Jacob dreams the stairway to heaven with messengers, angels, going up, coming down. God appears suddenly standing on it. The Hebrew here is really weird and difficult, so the translation could also be appearing behind him or be appearing over him. Confusing. But the point being, Jacob sees God in this presence in the dream. Jacob himself is present, perhaps, in the dream also. God speaks the repetition of the Abrahamic promise of being a parent of a nation of vast numbers of people and of geographical significance, a really big nation, and the promise that God will abide faithfully with Jacob and his offspring as he had with Abraham and Sarah and even with Ishmael and Hagar. And so the blessing comes, I am the Lord. I am the do, 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 do. I lost my spot altogether. Something happened. There it is. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall be spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed by you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. That certain place, that thin place, a certain place where the veil between the kingdom imminent and the kingdom triumphant, between earth and heaven, between human and divine, that veil is thin in this certain place. The thin place allows a moment of clarity, and Jacob needs clarity. He was, how do we say, kind of a crude dude, and the thin place allowed him to catch God's view of him. Dreams are thin places we tend to tis disregard too rapidly, right? Dreams are moments when our consciousness is disarmed, where the guard is let down and our unconsciousness is given voice, a place where God is given voice. Jacob pays attention. He wakes. He shakes the stiffness out of his neck and says, whoa, 
whoa, God is in this certain place, and I missed it. This is awesome. This is the very house of God. This, the gateway to heaven. So he takes the pillow stone and sets it up as a marking pillar and pours oil all over it, an anointing motion, making it holy space. And he calls the spot Bethel, the house of God. Buechner wraps it up this way. It wasn't holy hell that God gave Jacob, but holy heaven. Not to mention the marvelous lesson thrown in for good measure. The lesson was needless to say that even for a dyed-in-the-wool, double-barreled con artist like Jacob, there are a few things in this world you can't get but can only be given. And one of these things is love in general, and another is the love of God in particular. Jacob didn't have to climb his ladder to bilk heaven of the moon and the stars, even if it had been possible, because the moon and the stars, well, they looked like jelly beans compared to what God and the angels were using the ladder to hand down to him for free. Another part of the lesson was that luckily for Jacob, God doesn't love people because of who they are. But God loves people because of who God is. Amen? on the house is one way of saying it. It's by grace is another, just as it was by grace that it was Jacob of all people became not only the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, but the many times great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus of Nazareth. And just as it was grace that Jesus of Nazareth was born into the world at all, the grace runs the entire thread through the Abrahamic tradition we've been talking about. I think it's a pretty good way to end the message, right? I think, except, except I beg us to see that the Abrahamic tradition, these stories of the beginnings of our faith tradition, were from the get-go stories of wildly imperfect persons, sort of like us, snatched up and used for the ever-continuing unfolding of God's creative work in the world through humanity, more importantly, for humanity. So this week, this week, may we pay attention to our dreams. If you want to know how to do that, some people even say, I never dream. I tell you, put a little notebook next to your bed and a pen, of pa pen and paper, whatever you use to write with. You can even use your phone if you want. Tell yourself you're going to dream and that you're going to wake up and you're going to write it down. Pay attention to your dreams this week, to the thin places where God just may be revealing something critically important to you a grace-filled affirmation that is just for you. May it be so. Amen. And we're back. We are back. All right, Barry. All right, Jess. <laughs> so what did... What is it you were trying to say? Because I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, th I think I have my own interpretation, but I'm, I'm curious what you wanted us to take from it. Um, I wanted twofold. One, to understand that there's really very little relationship between God's activity in our lives and the kind of people we are, the people we are perceived to be by those around us. Um, and two, that... Uh, Paying attention to dreams is not a bad thing for us to do, and it's something we discount pretty pretty readily. Those Agreed. are the two things I was interested in, in hitting today. 
Well, that is what I took away. So that's <gasps> good. Those were the two things I was going to say. Look at that. I feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> it's a warm fuzzy. It's not just because the room is 108 degrees. <laughs> that might have something to do with it. And I have a jacket on. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's stick with thing one. Thing one. I thought uh, that was a really um, interesting takeaway and hopefully is really helpful for people because so much of how religious people are perceived is as acting um, upright and righteous and sometimes as hypocrites because we're not often very real about our, our internal messiness. But Jacob really uh, really goes for it in terms of messiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, everything about Jacob as the story is told and, and, and the way in which it's done, it seems like... Um, those who finally penned these folk tales down uh, took great delight in what a mess Jacob was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think also took great delight in this kind of redemptive work of uh, Stairway. And we're, and we're going to revisit that whole God relationship when we get to um, the Jabbok River and, and Jacob is wrestling mm-hmm. with, uh, with God. Those were air quotes that don't work in podcasts. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That whatever whatever it is the being is that that Jacob is wrestling. Um, so yeah, we'll we will get there again. But but it's that that ongoing sense that Jacob is sort of a jerk, mm-hmm. and even so, God makes use of Jacob. And I one reason I really appreciated that and find that helpful is that we tend to deify figures yeah. uh, for their heroic work and ignore, gloss over, uh, potentially more problematic parts of who they are. And, um, you know, you and I have talked about that a little bit. And there are some instances, you know, within the church where we have to kind of make those decisions with, you know, problematic composers and do we use this music or do we not? And there are problematic historic figures. And it's just, you know, part of it comes down to people are problematic. <laughs> yeah, and we, we struggle because we've kind of yeah. got this contemporary culture that's come to be called cancel culture mm-hmm. that that uh, if somebody who is in the public eye who's been well thought of, fi- we find that something is done that, that is um, not consistent with what we consider righteousness, not a word we use much in contemporary culture, but if we, if we find that a person is just being a jerk, then it's relatively eagle, e- easy to cancel uh, and to not it, it, we're not sure what to do with this person that was created as a, as a cultural hero and then, and then falls from grace. And mm-hmm. we say, well, I can't watch Bill Cosby anymore because of what Bill Cosby has been found to have done and who he was. Um, and that's a, that's a real struggle. And we've, we've had that in the in faith tradition. We had it with, with Mother Teresa, who did all these amazing things. And we found out that she, in, by her own words, she was a wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Paul, Til- Paul Tillich yep. in in in, in uh, mid century mid century theology um, was uh, one of our great theologians and was also a porn addict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Howard Yoder. We can go on with yeah. names and names. Come on, let's do that. <laughs> folks that were problematic and um, how we how we sort out and deal with those. I'm not sure there's something that's uh, like a whole hog approach to it. And for some of us, it depends on our own personal circumstances if we can you know engage and you know whatever that because it might be just too much for us personally 
and there are sometimes two where it's easy to say, at least for me, like, I, I believe that person is a beloved child of God and I don't want to financially can, you know, support them. I don't need sure. to cancel them personally or, or, you know, wish anything but wellness and healing and holding for them. Uh, heal, healing and wholeness. <laughs> Holiness. Yeah. Uh, for them. Uh, but I, I don't need to contribute financially, you know, to their to their legal defense yeah, necessarily. It, it just depends on the situation it's, for it's it's, yeah. it's tough, right? I it mean, is tough. It's and God seems to have this, you know, capacity, which you know, God being God has this capacity to hold both things all the things <clears throat> together. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I can be a wreck and I can be beloved and used. Mm-hmm. And people can do incredible things in God's name, and do horrible things in God's name and be the same person. You know, like, it's just... Are we talking about me? <laughs> Is that where we're going? Hey, by the way... <laughs> no, it's just, it's what all of us do, right? That's the messiness of humanity. And I think uh, what I love about Genesis, it's the beginning, you know, of, of humans' understanding of God in this particular way through this particular people. And it's messy. And we too today are messy. And... um in a way that's kind of comforting. In a way, it's kind of like, well, ugh. <laughs> could we not have learned from these stories? But they still are so relevant and speak to us. Well, and that's a, that's an interesting thing because as I was going through this, and it's like, is there anything that is evident that Jacob learns? We don't really get that mm-hmm. until much later, and then only in hints. Is there anything you think Jacob learns? I think he learns that that God is is fully present, not in spite of, but because of who he is. Yeah. I think, too, like you mentioned, once we get to Jacob and Esau's reconciliation, yeah. I think that wrestling um, and that permanent, um, you know, that permanent on his physical body reminder of God. I, yeah, I'd have to look more closely at the text, but I would imagine a lesson was learned through that experience and he names things. So I think he gets lessons. Like he, he puts the lessons to <laughs> where he names something happening. Those things are kind of tied together. Wherein we get this rock pillow scenario, Bethel. Yeah. And yeah, right. They, they do space kinds of connections in ways that we, we do. Although, although, I mean, you know, as I was thinking about this and thinking about places where I've journeyed and, and I could remember what, you know, what those spots were, and um, and what the God moment was in them. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe, maybe we just maybe it sounds more like they're doing naming because they use Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> Bethel. Yeah. Well, I think if nothing else, it's um, you know, it's in a way reassuring to know that God loves us, interacts with us, wills good for us because it is who God is, and we are never beyond. Um, that sort of relationship or redemption. And that's in some ways counterintuitive to the what what culture would say the dominant Christian message is. You know, yes. you accept Jesus and then you act right. Yeah. And acting rightly is how you X, Y, or Z. And, and over and over and over again, despite the fact that humans love that kind of algebraic equation, we find it inescapable. Like, we can't get there. We can't actually do it. <laughs> And that's not really what scripture tells us about who God is. No, what, what, what it tells us is that God is perpetually creative and redemptive mm-hmm. and that nothing's going to get in the way of that. And as much as we might think 
that we can because we're so bad um, we can't it's, it's not it's not ours to control mm-hmm. mm. that's rough that's great but it's rough <laughs> as humans we love yeah. control <laughs> I, I do not know what you're talking about <laughs> No, it's, that's that's absolutely right. We do we do want to control, and and God continually, you know, gives us these stories of, yeah, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not really. Well, and it's rare that uh, throughout Scripture we see God working with a goody two shoes that never never encounters any sort of moral failing. <laughs> and and really, we ought to we ought to learn something from that, but yeah. we don't seem to. No, and we don't. and the, the myth of. Contemporary Christian culture and scripture is that it's full of really great people who are doing really great things, and we, we simply need to mm-hmm. model ourselves out of the characters of the Bible. It's like, okay, they're really reading a different Bible than I am. Yeah, that's the, you know, kind of where, to, to bring us full circle, that deification of, of people. We make them into our idols because we cannot seem to hold that they are multiple things at multiple times, and that perhaps our actions in and of themselves don't define us, but our relationship with God. And that's kind of, you know, I, I think we have this very existential struggle. Well, if our actions don't define us, what is it? What do they matter? And do I mean anything? And, you know, do I make my mark upon this earth? Um, and we, we struggle with that at a big picture level in some way. We do. It's getting deep, Barry. Well, it was occurring to me, as you said, deification. I think we, it's another place where humanity does polar opposites. We, we like mm-hmm. to do deification. We also demonization. Do demonization. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like Nary the Twain show meat. <laughs> it's yeah. like that. Those are the, the, the two polarities. And, um, and we do it in our, in our theology that, uh, you know, everything, everything in history is a battle between those polarities uh, represented as between God and Satan. Uh, and that the entirety of, of, creation is a battleground for those for those two that's just problematic yeah yes yeah we don't it's interesting that oftentimes that's how I hear uh you know if I see ads for other sermon series from other you know churches that don't really align with us theologically it often kind of feels like is is this actually from Star Wars like is this (laughs) what in what dualist world do you think God you know as opposed to God being the creator of all of it. And, and perhaps um, it's not some sort of cosmic battle uh, other than the one inside ourselves, you know, to, to give over these idols of control, to give over these idols of, of needing to make ourselves many gods. And that that's a lot more work than, a, you know, zoo, zoo, bow, bow, <laughs> that we imagine going on supernaturally somewhere out there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. One of the things that uh, was not in the scripture, but is, but is, the background story, and I just kind of mentioned in pa- passing, is that Jacob also stole his father's uh, household idols. What a piece of work! <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so there was a little slip. Okay, whoa. Okay, this is this is Jacob's dad who's got mm-hmm. these these idols. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's just really interesting. And they meant they meant so much. Yeah, despite this this kind of move to monotheism, that is yeah. a, well, a they generational we, struggle. Yeah, we weren't there yet, right? Yeah. Ugh. Okay, so something I know about you. You're a dream guy. I am a dream guy. Yeah, so I love that this uh, this. I'm a dream weaver. You're dream weaver. <laughs> 
We're going to get a lot of songs um, from, we're going to get a lot of copyright we're gonna infringement. Do a, we're, that's right. <laughs> do a podcast of all of our bad podcast songs. Okay, so for real though, you are a Jungian dream guy. I'd Damn. love to hear a little bit about that and particularly um, your reclamation of that as meaningful because as you mentioned, as a, as a learned people, we tend to think of that as some like primitive and not really worth a lot of our time or attention. Yeah, or, or cycle babble. You oh, know, sure. New age, yeah. so, new age yeah. cycle babble. And, and it's, it's neither and both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not as though I believe that every dream I have is a direct line from God to my consciousness that I, that I need to act upon. I do, however, think that uh, the more that I pay attention to my dreams, the more that I am disciplined in writing them down. Um, and, and people, you know, I've taught classes here on, on dream, and I'm certainly no expert by any means, but, but I did do a good deal of work on the intersection between uh, Jungian uh, psychoanalysis and, and theology, um, biblical theology. Um, and I do think that there is much to be learned from the place where we surrender our consciousness and God is able to creep in in ways that, um, that are sometimes, God can, be, God can be pushy, like in our waking <laughs> state, right? We've had that experience mm-hmm. of, you know, the, those of us who, are, who have ended up in ordained ministry and, or, or whatever the career and, and have, have had a sense of calling that, that you've struggled against, that sense that God can be persistent. I think we know that in a waking state, but in, in dreams, um, people have the experience of, of repetitive dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like it just keeps coming and there's something there. Uh, there may be an image that keeps flashing back. Uh, Jungian, Jung talks about archetypes, uh, collective unconscious, so these images that were that transcend time and culture, uh, things that that showed up on ancient walls, like images of things that hadn't even been developed yet, and yet that's wild. It was yeah. in collective, and mm-hmm. so the sense that that um, there's something in in the dream world that that allows us to connect with that that thin place, that veil between uh, the, this temporal world and, and, and whatever, whatever divine world might look like. We, you know, we often talk about heaven. Um, for me, it is a matter of, of, of paying attention and going, huh, <laughs> and being curious about the dreams. Um, sometimes people bring dreams. And we, I mean, you know, we've done it in, in staff. You know, mm-hmm. People have had weird dreams. And it's like, oh, let's talk, talk about that. And, and the fundamental piece of that is that um, it helps to just start with everything in the dream is you. Yeah. Right? Sometimes we get to thinking, oh, well, why did why did Jess appear in Barry's dream? What's that about? And like, what piece of what piece of me is you, Jess? And that's where I get to go, <laughs> huh? What you know? What is instructive here? And and it, you know, I mean, I could talk about it being my unconscious is trying to teach me something. But I think that in that unconscious space, God is free to flourish in a way that I think God is not often free to flourish in our, in our waking state because our mind is so full of busyness. Mm. Yeah. That is, all of that is a, that is a fascinating space. And I, it relates to me to what we were talking about earlier, the bridge being that bit of surrendering control yeah. of, of realizing, um, 
you know, our unconscious, our subconscious state perhaps has a lot more wisdom and knowledge than we can ever name or understand or acknowledge, partially because um, we think we know better, you know. <laughs> we think our waking state, oftentimes even our, our, you know, amygdala lizard brain reacting to things might know better um, when perhaps it's a whole different kind of knowledge and wisdom if we, if we were as curious and paid attention to it. I, I am going to put a little journal if I can find room on my nightstand, I got a lot of stuff going on. I've got books stacked. I got a lot of stuff going on. All my skincare. If I can find room, I'm gonna put a tiny little journal and I'm gonna write my dreams down this week. Yeah, well, I mean, my my thing when people tell me they don't dream, is, of course you do. You just don't. You don't remember. And mm-hmm. if you if you tell yourself before going to bed that you're gonna dream, you will, and you will wake if you train yourself to do that. Um, and uh, and it's and it's good. I mean, you you end up and sometimes sometimes you you end up writing. You're trying to write down your dream, but you're also in a kind of a dream state, <laughs> you know, semi-sleep thing, and you end up writing things that are really interesting mm. uh, that you may not remember that way in, in, when you wake, and that's instructive as well. Um, but you know, you you mentioned the the uh, the, the, the lizard brain. Uh, <laughs> you know, part of part of what I found fascinating. There, there were lots of lots of holes I could have gone down, uh, but I found it fascinating that Jacob is on the run from his brother. And like that, that lizard brain of the the fl- the fleeing flight, yeah. the fleeing piece. What's going on in Jacob's brain as he's fleeing? And again, we would think that he's that he's all wrapped up in in sorrow and remorse and all that. That doesn't seem to be what the what the, what the writer is indicating. Yes. And yet, um, what he gets is is uh, minimally what God needs him to hear. Yeah. And, and all while he's sleeping on a rock. Yeah, who knew? Jacob paid attention to his dreams. Good yeah. for Jacob. If yeah. nothing else, perhaps that's all. <laughs> I found it fascinating because I hadn't I hadn't remembered reading this before, but the, that the ancients actually kind of in in their permanent places they actually had these metal wedges that were. I know that's what that were pillows. It's like wow. You can get a pet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, good for them. They carried the species to now, but I'm I'm grateful for my fancy, you know, memory foam pillow. So, oh, I gotta have I have to have goose down. <laughs> you would have goose down. <laughs> well, get whatever pillow you need to dream with, folks. And uh, <laughs> wait, does this mean we're done? Yeah. What? Do you have Do you have more to say? I don't know. I always have more to say, but I think I think probably for for this week. As we're at the midpoint of the of the series, that's probably sufficient. So mm-hmm. we trust uh, if you have some questions, you'll let us know. Yeah, next week we are um, thrilled to welcome Reverend Joel Wilson to guest preach. We will actually both, um, you know, I'll, I'll be in the service for sure. Barry's traveling and anticipates being back. Uh, but, you know, weather's been banana. Who knows? So I'll Who be knows? here. Barry will likely be here. We're welcoming. <laughs> And then we have our third copyright infringement of the podcast, (laughs) their own parody. We will see you or you will hear us next week. Dream well. Mm